Welcome to the Hudson Wesleyan Church Podcast, a recording of the weekly messages of Pastor Wesley Rowan during the Sunday worship service. We trust the time you spend listening will enhance your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here is Pastor Wes. Remember the words that Darcy read for us, which of course are an accounting of the time when God removed Adam and Eve from the garden and their search for peace began. Before Adam and Eve left the garden, they had peace, but they had nothing else to compare it to, so they didn't know that they had peace. When you have something, but you don't know life without it, then you don't really recognize that you have it. When you've never perceived someone else not having it, whatever it is, it's not that big of a deal for you. We rarely think about the oxygen that we breathe. Everybody's got it. Here it is. But you go underwater, you hold your breath, And pretty soon, your body starts reminding you of that which you do not have at that moment. So Adam and Eve Eve leave the garden and realize now that they are lacking something that they had all along, peace with God. We are eventually going to look at Colossians chapter 3 if you want to be turning there. But while you do, I want to read to you the familiar words from Isaiah chapter 9. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace the Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The world is calling out for peace. For a stability. But more than just things being okay, the world is searching for something that satisfies the unevenness, the brokenness, the uneasiness of our existence. Think about the last 12 months of your existence. The times when you would say you felt the least amount of peace were the times when things were the least certain in your life. There's the most upheaval. The world is clamoring for peace, for something that can be relied on even when the world doesn't realize it. 
We hear of unrest in other parts of the world. We know of war that happens in places like Ukraine or in places places in Africa or the Middle East. And we know very little of that because we have not had to experience that on our homeland, but we know of it, we read of it, we hear the news reports, and we know that whatever else is happening in the world, that peace is lacking in places. And then we say how thankful we are for living where we live, in a country where we are provided for and protected, and what a gracious blessing that is. But then we even look inside the borders of our own country, and we see places that lack peace. We see horrid reports of things that people do to each other. and We hear of struggles financially and job difficulties or maybe we even know people whose relationships or whose neighborhoods or whose work environments are torturous to them. And if we said to them, is this a peaceful place? Are you in a peaceful place in your life? They might recognize, sure, there's lots of good things going on in my life, but, but wow, there's a lot of areas where peace doesn't seem to exist. It's a difficult time. That's a difficult place to go emotionally, physically, psychologically, financially, sometimes in ways that we can't even imagine. And so we're looking for peace amongst cultures, amongst countries, amongst societies. And we're looking for peace between individuals. And in all of this, in the middle of all of it, the scriptures have the audacity to say that there is peace that is not only available or coming, there is a peace that has come. I heard another pastor say not that long ago, that Christmas or Advent is really the thing that the, the world is wanting, even when the world doesn't realize that that is what it's wanting. The realities of what happened at Christmas, I found that to be very helpful. But we aren't just wanting peace amongst people or people groups We're wanting peace in our transactions of humanity. We want to be able to rely on certain things. And when we don't have that, what tends to happen? We feel less than at peace or at rest. Hear me, my friends. I know, as well as you know, that there are things that weigh on you, that take away your sense of rest or stability in your soul. I'm not just talking about a physical rest. I'm talking about the things that when you wake up in the morning, they're there. And throughout your day, whatever else is going on, they are there. 
Again, they may have to do with you. They may have to do with someone you care about. They may have to do with things that are happening around the world, but they're there. And the rest of your soul is made weary. And the scriptures have the audacity to say, whether it's your family life, your work life, your social interactions, or around the world, the scriptures have the audacity to say that there is a peace that has come. Why is it that we are so desperate for peace? Because we go back to the garden and realize that we were robbed of it. What is wrong with humanity? Hang on. It's sin. That's it. And before you too quickly think or say, as I am inclined to do most of the time, in the back of your mind, we would never say it aloud, but in the back of our mind to say, yeah, you know, it really is sin. And if all those sinners would get their stuff figured out, this would be a much more peaceful world. And then we examine the contents of our own soul and discover that there is none righteous, not even one. We love Christmas. We love the Advent season of thinking of things like hope and peace and love. But when it comes to thinking in, in Advent, about our own disparity of sin, we don't linger there very long. Jesus was not born for all of the terrible, horrible, awful sinners out there. Jesus was born because of the terrible, horrible, awful sin that is right here. The peace that we lack is not just in other people's sinfulness. It is in the darkness of our own existence. From children to teens to young adults, to senior adults, and everywhere in between, the inclination of the soul is darkness. So we don't want just peace out in our world. We need peace and a reconciled salvation with God. And if we find that, and I don't mean find it like we have to go searching for it because he brought it to us, but when we experience that, we realize that it supersedes all of the unrest in the rest of the world. Now, I do not suggest that 
when we have a relationship with Jesus that nothing else is ever going to bother you or even cause you distress. It will. But the foundation upon which the rest of the waves of life will ride is a foundation that cannot be moved. Last week, we hoped for it. This week, we find it. The peace of God. Peace is the welfare of the soul. Peace is not the welfare of the environment or your environment. Okay? Peace is the welfare of your soul. A resting of the soul. So peace is not being able to stand up and say, wow, nothing shakes me. No. Peace is being able to say, the thing that I hold to in the shaking is itself unshakable. For unto you a child is born. Now, if, if God had wanted to say, there's going to be an unshakable, peace, life-giving entity, and he's going to be magnificent, he is going to be overwhelming, he is going to be authoritative, he is going to, to rule and decree and master and all of those things, by the way, the scriptures say, we would have been like, that's, that's great. That's great. I'll take it. But then the scriptures come along and say, a child is born. Now, when a child is added to your family, That is not usually the thing that you look for to make life more peaceful. More joyful? Sure. More exciting? Absolutely. More full of adventure? Yes. Nobody has ever said, my life is not peaceful enough, I should add a child to the mix. And Isaiah says, a child is coming. And so we may say, well, even if this child is the most profoundly patient, soft, kind, tender baby that ever existed, even if it grows to be the most cooperative, helpful, willing child there was, even if miraculously their teenage years are lacking in all drama and difficulty, this child will not possess what is necessary to bring peace to the world because think about it, and when the prophet is speaking, all that they had known was law, disobedience, punishment. That was their experience. You, you buckle into the mold. Or when they were in bondage, you buckled to the oppressor. 
When Jesus comes, Rome is ruling the earth. And what had they convinced themselves they needed? A ruler. A zealot. A warrior. Give us a King David who's going to go out and slay the giant and take it to the Philistines and anybody else that wants some. Give us David. And we'll even grant them some leeway here because the scriptures say he's going to be a son of David. He's going to rule on the throne of David. That's great. Man, that's what we need. We need a warrior king. And that's how we're going to get our peace. We're going to force peace on the world. So supposing this child then grows up at least to be a warrior king, well, then maybe we can have peace. No, a child can't bring us peace, but that child's going to grow up. And then he will bring us peace. The welfare of the soul will be dependent on all of the bad being done away with. And you can't blame them for thinking that way. Think about your life. The things that make you unsettled, when you are searching for peace, what is it you think should happen? Again, think about, think about stuff that's happened in your life in the last 12 months. The things that, that really ache, that threaten your, your, your joy, that threaten your, your sense of stability. What is our natural response? Well, if that thing would go away, I would be more at peace. If that thing hadn't happened, if that relational issue wasn't there, if that family problem wasn't there, if that work situation was fine, if this coworker could find a better job somewhere else, boy, I would have peace. And we do in our brains the exact same things that they did in the days of the prophet and the exact same things they were doing in the days that Jesus was born. They are saying, if we can get someone to get rid of our problem, then peace will reign. Well, that's what we want. And they're all geared up for it because they've read the prophets. Isaiah said that this one who brings peace will increase the government. Now, in our day today, we have this, this ideological discussion about whether more or less government is better. That's not what Isaiah is talking about. He is saying the way that this king rules, his ruling is going to increase. His oversight is going to increase. And again, the, the, the Israelites, the Jews are like, yes, yes, give us a good king who will rise up and oversee and rule and his domain will increase. And strangely enough, that is the same sort of satisfaction that we usually look for. I mean, sometimes we look for it in government, but, but we look for it in systems, we look for it in, in people, we look for it in organizations. If something would rise up and sort of put down all of the evil, wow, 
then we would have peace. Then, we, then it would be okay. And I'm there. I'm there. You see people get away with stuff or behave in ways that you find repulsive or difficult or at the very least shady and you say if they could just get what they had coming to them. I don't know if it'd fix the problem but it'd make me feel a whole lot better. And that's where the people of Jesus' day are. Man, somebody just, just one person to tell these Romans what's what. And onto the scene comes this little baby. Who doesn't grow up to be a warrior king. He grows up to be a teacher and a pretty passive one at that. The kind of teacher who says, you who think that you're righteous, you've got it figured out. Look inside of you. The peace of God, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says, here it is. Here's the kingdom that Isaiah talked about. Today, his words are fulfilled among you. That's what Jesus said. And all of the scholars, and even those who weren't scholars, but just knew the prophecies, are looking around going, where is it? The Romans are still standing outside the door. We're still oppressed. We still got problems. And then, oh, then Jesus says something even more profound. He says, no, the kingdom's not only here, it is within you. does that mean? It's within me. But think about it. I'm, we're going to try to work right through this, this little equation. Peace is ultimately the welfare of the soul. If the prince of peace is going to increase his government and increase the peace, that means he's going to have to increase the welfare of your soul. You don't increase the welfare of your soul on an external basis. It has to happen on the inside. So he says the kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of God is within you. It's happening here before it happens there. Now, it happens inside of us, but... Let's make it abundantly clear. The experience of peace, the increase of the kingdom of God must be found externally to us. And here's what I mean. While it happens internally, the solution we're looking for is not an internal solution. It's not one that we conjure up. Well-meaning people Today, you hear a lot of talk about finding your inner peace, finding your center, finding the, you know, your, your focus, being mindful of your, who you are and 
There's nothing wrong with being a person who is confident and who seeks to kind of be a centered individual. But I'm here to tell you that the solution to our internal problem is not a me solution. It's not one that you possess. It's not one that you can find. It's not one that the deeper you dive into yourself, the more at one you become with the universe. The deeper you dive into yourself, the darker you find your heart has been. So while it is an internal thing that must happen, the only place to find peace is in an external solution. But not an external solution like something that just distracts us or comforts us or makes us feel a little bit better. And here, we are particularly vulnerable. I know that I am. When we feel at unrest, when the waves of life, are bashing pretty, pretty strongly, we have a tendency to want to just turn to something that just makes us feel a little warmer. Especially during the Christmas season. The lights, the music, the friends, the memories, maybe a favorite Christmas movie, the things that make us feel warm. I mean, look. Hallmark's a multi-million dollar company. They know that making you feel warm and fuzzy, even if it is the same storyline recreated 50,000 different times by basically the same set of characters, will make you feel good. Right? So we are looking externally, but we have to be careful to look externally at the only thing that really brings peace. Now I want to, we're going to head towards a conclusion here, but I want to make something really clear. I said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again because I don't want us to forget it. Feeling unrest does not mean that you don't find peace with God, that there's something wrong with your soul, Okay? We live in a world of unrest. The soul that is right with God should feel the friction of living in a world that is not right with him, right? So I'm not saying if you ever feel as if it is not well, that that means there's something wrong with your relationship with God. What I'm saying is that if in the friction we are looking for solutions of peace that are the ones the world would offer us. Then we will not find peace. I pray that every government around the world does what is right and good and just. I have no expectation that any human government is ever going to bring peace. It is not in their job description. It is not within their purview. It is not possible. I would that every relationship and every work environment and every family would be a place of peace, but to the extent that it is, it is only because of the Prince of Peace it is not in our ability to make things 
peaceful. And to the extent that we are people of peace, it is only because we have plugged into the one who is peace. So to conclude, I want to take you back. I said we were going to go to Colossians. I want to take you to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. I'm just going to kind of skip through this. I want to point a couple of things out to you. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. He says, As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. These are all things that we would say are part of peace. Bearing with one another. I like that word. It's really Paul's way of saying putting up with one another. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. Bearing with one another. I mean, let's face it. If you go home today and ask your spouse, you know, what do you think of our relationship? And they said, well, I'm bearing with you. You would say, well, we, maybe we need to work on this a little bit. But that's what he says. Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. I mean, those are broad terms, Paul. Can I get a caveat? Can I get an unless? Can I get an accept? Forgiving one another. As a general rule, I don't like to make sermon illustrations out of immediate current events because I think that there's always path that usually things are better seen in retrospect. But Carrie and I had been talking about the story of this little girl that was killed, and she sent me that response that that grandfather wrote about his feelings towards the man who killed his granddaughter. And right there you saw it. He recognized in himself every natural human emotion Forgiveness was not in the list. And then he said, but when I look at myself and I realize what God has done for me, this man is not a murderer, the, the grandfather. He's not a murderer. He's not a, a terrible, horrible person that we know of. And he says, but when I look at what God has done for me, all I can hope is that this man who has so injured my family, will find forgiveness with God. See, I'm wanting Paul to give us a caveat, and unless something really bad has happened, and he says, forgiving one another, whatever the complaint is, just as the Lord forgave you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now here, here, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. The peace of God ruling in our hearts makes us the kind of people who bear with one another, are kind, compassionate, hum humble, have gentleness, patience, forgiving, it's not the other way around. It's not, well, I want to be, I'm going to forgive and I'm going to be gentle and I'm going to try to be kind and then we will have peace. No, 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 no. It is the peace of God that makes us people who are forgiving and kind. 
Do you see? Now, is there a time and a place for the people of God to rise up in defense of the helpless and to pursue justice for the weak? Absolutely. As I saw a quote that actually had come from um, Father Joe, who used to be the priest here in Hudson a few years back, said something along this line, if there's a schism in the church, if there are dividing factions in the church, or both sides are claiming to be Christian, basically, how do we know who to follow? And the advice comes back, follow the one where you find the poor and the weak and the miserable feeling at home. Whichever side is willing to look at the weak and the needy and the helpless and pay attention to them, that is usually the side that is most reflective of God. There is a time for us to stand in righteous indignation towards evil. But even there, it is not because it is our power, our strength, our authority that is going to make it better. Because I don't know about you, but my righteous indignation can very quickly turn into Wesley indignation. We'll just leave God out of the equation, and I'll fix the problem. How does this happen? Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Where does it dwell? Within you. Where is the transformation needing to happen? Within you. Where can peace be found? Within you. But it has to come from an external source. What is the source? The word of God. What is Jesus referred to by John? The word. Why is the Bible even so important? Because it is a representation, and I don't mean like just figuratively, but it is, it is an accounting of the word of God. The, the word was made flesh. He dwelt among you. Verse 17, whatever you do, whether it is in word or deed, whatever you do, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus. Look, friends, whether you're 10, 30, 50, 80, wherever you're at, you are going to encounter some things in your life, probably this week, that are not comforting. They're not peaceful. Oh, I would love to follow you around this week maybe just with like a nice yardstick and anything that's going to be difficult for you, just psh, out of the way. Nope, not, not today. They've had a rough enough week, not going to do it. Not today. Nope, nope. Look, Christmas is busy enough as it is. We don't need your nonsense in their life. I'd love to do that for you. But all that I can give you is peace. Not because it's mine, but because I can point you to the one who has it. In just a minute, we are going to pray. And after that prayer, I'm going to say something that we often say at the end of church services. And I will be the first to admit that I say it without thinking many times. It's a little three-word phrase. Go 
in peace. And I will admit that sometimes it's just something that you can say at the end of a service to let people know that it's time for them to go get lunch. But it's not really. It is a declaration of the gift that has been given to you by the child who was born in a manger who would grow up to increase his government by hanging on a cross. My peace I give you. My peace I leave with you, he says. Not the peace like the world tries to give you. No, no, no. My peace that has been purchased, that has been made available. Take it and go. I can't make all your relationships and all your daily experiences and the world in which we live and the governments that are at odds with each other, I can't make them all peaceful. But I can send you out of here in the peace of the Prince of Peace. Lord, we need your peace. Even when we must stand and, and fight, we need your peace. Our souls are aching. We need the Prince of Peace. And so we pray that today and in the days to come, we will find our peace. The welfare of our soul, the stability, the foundation on which we stand. In Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Will you stand with me? As you get ready to go, allow me to grant you this benediction. Go in peace, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ always be present in your heart and in your soul and in your mind. He is with you. So go in peace, and may he bless you. This message is a ministry of Hudson Wesleyan Church, where our mission is to see lives transformed for the glory of God. For more information, you may contact the church at 517-448-6411 or at hudsonwesleyan.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you.